Method to the Madness is next. You're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. I'm your host, Lisa Kiefer, and today I'm speaking with Eric Leanson, the co-director of Business Alliance for a Healthy California. They believe that healthcare is a human right and that all Californians should have affordable, high-quality, cost-effective healthcare. Hello. Thanks for having me, Lisa. You have always been a person I think of around sustainability. And in this new venture, you're working to make healthcare more sustainable as we move to the future, all of us, citizens of the U.S. Tell us about what you're doing at the Business Alliance for Healthy California. Essentially, we created the Business Alliance uh, for Healthy California about a year and a half ago to support the implementation of a single-payer type system here in California. You know, we can get into discussion about what single-payer means, but it was kind of a um, response to what's been happening in Washington, where we see all kinds of major roadblocks as far as protecting people's health care and not even talking about expanding it. So here in California, we have a very strong group of people who have been pursuing single-payer health care for a long time. And back in 2017, the California Nurses Association sponsored a bill called the Healthy California Act, Senate Bill 562, which would bring uh, single-payer health care to the state of California because we just don't see it in the cards on a national level for a long time. But here we are, California, and as everyone likes to say, the fifth largest economy in the world, we should be able to provide quality health care to all of our people. But as we all know, this SB 562 is dead in the water right now. Right now, it's, it's dead. Uh, basically, so tell us what it, happened it, and what's going to happen. Okay, the bill garnered really amazing grassroots support, and it passed the Senate. So it was approved by the California State Senate. In the assembly, it was blocked primarily by the Speaker of the assembly, who did not want it to come to a vote. And he didn't want it to come to a vote, in my opinion, primarily because it's embarrassing to the Democrats. There's no Democrat these days in California that's not, quote, unquote, for single payer. But, you know, we have people that really support it and are ready to implement it, and others who say they support it because politically it's convenient. Part of of where the Democrats are going, certainly in California, but also nationally, is in the concept of a Medicare for All type program. So what you have is a situation where on the legislative floor, if the bill had been brought up, then the um, assembly people would have had to take a vote and show whether they supported this for real or not. And it was much easier just to sort of stall on it. It wouldn't, he didn't allow it to go to committee, even for further review and discussion. They were claiming, well, the bill's inadequate. And there's no doubt there was more that needed to be fleshed out in the bill. But that's part of what the assembly is supposed to do through their mm-hmm. committees, and they wouldn't even allow it to go to committee. At this point, there is no bill. What's happened is I think everyone's got their attention really focused on the elections coming up in November, particularly the governor's race. 
Right. I want to talk to you about John Cox, the Republican candidate, versus Gavin Newsom's position on single payer. Well, it's pretty much black and white yeah. in many ways, although there's always gray when you talk about politicians. The black and white part is that John Cox is absolutely opposed to any form of single-payer. Is single he fiscally payer. opposed? Like I read that there's a range of from 330 to $400 billion is what people are saying it's going to cost Californians. Well, so what I would say is that as a Republican, he's opposed to it, not only financially, but ideologically. He does not believe that government should play an extensive role in healthcare. So these would be the same Republicans that want to cut Medicare because it's government controlled in a way, financed, I should say, not controlled. Gavin Newsom has been a strong proponent of single payer and in fact has a history of introducing health care reform when he was mayor of San Francisco. So he has been an outspoken proponent of single payer. And that's the black part. The gray part is, well, when you actually get elected, what do you do? Because health care represents 20% of the entire economy of California and nationwide as well. You're not talking about a small budget item. You're talking about an industry, whether it be pharmaceuticals, hospitals, physicians, insurance companies, that affects a huge swath of people. And when this gets out, you know, gets discussed, it affects people's interests dramatically. I mean, basically, if single payer were to be implemented, there would be no role, not much of any role, I should say, for private health insurance any longer. Can you imagine how many people would possibly lose revenue because they sell insurance or the, the, the insurance companies are making a lot of money? So you have the problem whenever you're dealing with trying to make major reform to the healthcare system, and it's extraordinarily complicated. I don't mean by any stretch of the imagination to try to simplify it. You're going to have huge vested interests. Everyone uses healthcare. So everyone's concerned about what their health care is going to look like as a consumer. And you have, as I was suggesting, a tremendous number of industries and businesses that basically survive on the revenues that are generated through health care. So it makes it difficult, and it makes it difficult for an elected official to really implement it. They're going to need strong support from backers in the legislature and insistence by the general public that this is beneficial. So I was thinking about this. A great percentage of money will be saved. It seems like inefficiencies will be gone. So you're going to save a lot of money. But all of those people who deal with the phone calls to the insurance company are, are without a job. So whoever has to figure out this fiscal analysis has to incorporate job loss to the state very complicated. It's very complicated. And do you know if that cost-benefit works? Well, let's, let's put it this way. Virtually every study that's been done that I'm aware of shows enormous cost savings through single-payer. If you look at the numbers right now, the administrative costs of private health insurance are around between, let's say, 10 and 15% administrative costs. For Medicare, which is, in fact, single-payer, single yeah. the administrative costs are 3%. So you're talking off the bat, you know, 10, 12% savings just by streamlining that system, number one. And part of that administrative savings isn't only on the insurance side of, you know, who's financing. It's also on the doctor side. Do you realize that in this country, every doctor has to hire, I mean, every two doctors have to hire at least one or two administrative people just to deal with the billing. I mean, we all have the experience of going to the office and are you covered by this? You, they spend 
endless amounts of time instead of giving health care on the phone, arguing with the insurance companies whether or not there's coverage. This simplifies that entire thing. Number two, the other large savings is that if there were a single payer, they would be able to negotiate pricing with hospitals and with pharmaceutical companies. Because right now, we pay so much more in the United States for health care than any other country, industrialized country in the world. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, we're spending often more than two times as much as any other country and not getting results that are even as good as those countries. It's all about the cost. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. Today I'm speaking with Eric Leenson. He's the co-director of Business Alliance for a Healthy California. He's working to educate and organize the business community to support universal health care. Back to your question. There have been studies done and serious academic studies. You can imagine this debate's been going on for decades. And in the case of California, let's just hone in on California. Yes, the cost of cost of healthcare in the system right now, everyone kind of agrees on, is about $400 billion a year. And the opposition to single payer has done a great job in propagandizing the role of who's paying for what. So they, they come out with this phenomenal number of uh, increase in taxes. Well, let's let's walk through the numbers. So let's say it's $400 billion right now. That's $400 billion being spent where you still have 3 million people in the state that don't have insurance. And you have 14 million people in the state who are underinsured. Underinsured means they, quote, have coverage, but the deductibles and the uh, co-pays are so high they can't afford to use their insurance, so okay. they, don't, they don't go for the help they need. It's just catastrophic at that point. Yeah, yeah. Well, it often gets to catastrophic because they're not going on a preventative basis. But what people don't understand is right now, of that $400 billion, 70% is already being paid by government. 70%. If you add in you know, what the federal government is paying through Medicare, through Medicaid, which is huge, especially in the state of California, what local governments are paying. Think about it. all the government employees there are in the state, all the firemen, all the policemen, all the teachers, they have health insurance, right? So you're talking about 70%. What you're really looking at funding is 30%. Well, where does that 30% come from? That comes from premiums. And typically, a lot of it is paid for by employers, and some of it's paid for by employees, and some of it's just paid by individuals who aren't employed at all. Well, it's all about how you look at the pie. The numbers show that you could probably ensure, you could probably implement a Medicare for all type package in California for everyone paying less than what we're paying today. So there's savings in the system. The problem is, where are those savings coming from? And that is, I pay premiums for my health insurance. Is that a tax? I mean, we're playing a little bit a semantics game. Someone's paying this money. There's $400 billion dollars in the system. That's what we're paying. So why do people say, well, if we use single payer and it costs, let's, let's say $400 billion, it'll actually cost less than that. Why do they say, well, we have to raise all these new taxes? Well, it's because instead of paying health care premiums, people will pay taxes. That's the difference. So based on studies, serious financial studies, it appears that single payer is financially feasible. 
without the scare of all these new taxes. The money is there. But would we continue to get the money from the federal government if we went on single payer here in California, or would would it be cut off? Okay. It is dependent upon continuing to receive the funding that exists in the system today. Both state and federal. Correct. One of the largest stumbling blocks is about the federal portion, because it's not impossible. In fact, it's very likely that Washington, under this administration, would refuse to go along with this. There are um, what are known as waivers available for states to experiment and do different types of financing within healthcare, still using federal money, but it's got to be approved by the federal government. So it's not impossible, but you know, when people raise the question about, well, it's going to be a really hard slog to get this done because we're not going to have the federal government. Well, the reality is that shouldn't prevent us from doing it. I mean, it's like saying, well, we shouldn't regulate our car emissions because we're going to have to fight federal government. What's the difference in some sense? And the reality is, given the breadth and depth of the healthcare system impact on the overall economy, this is not something that's going to happen overnight. So it makes, in my opinion, lots and lots of sense to get California prepared to be able to launch a program. And by the time we have the laws in place and things happening, then we'll hopefully have a new type of administration in Washington and see about those possibilities. But it's going to take time. If we don't start preparing now, we're really going to be caught cold. Are there other states? There are other states that are experimenting with single payer. Not really. I used to live in Massachusetts and that was... That's Romney care. Okay. Now, I mean, the difference between single payer is literally you're taking private insurance companies out of the mix. That's that's where a lot of the savings come from because I would contend that they provide no value. What they are are middlemen who collect a revenue for basically not doing anything, and they game the system so that they can maximize their revenues. This is why... You see, I mean, you know, getting into the business part of this, in the 562 bill, because you asked, there were clear provisions within that bill. There's a certain amount of money allocated for job retraining. So you asked about the people. Yes. There's, whenever there's a disruption, yeah, people There's tremendous concern. Yeah. No one wants anyone to get hurt on this. But, you know, it's the reality. Okay, well, should we continue hiring longshoremen to unload ships by hand and not use technology? Right. So I think you explained what single payer actually is. Well, but so, why don't you say I, it again for people who, okay. others who don't really What's care. really important to understand, single payer is not what people think is, quote, socialized medicine. It's not government control of the services, medical services that people receive. Right now, the way Medicare works is the federal government is the financer of this. They set the rules of what can be paid for certain services, devices, prescriptions, prescriptions, things like that. Although, unfortunately, they can't set the prices for prescriptions. The Veterans Administration can. Yeah, the veterans only. But it has nothing to do with the actual provision of medical services. So I, as a Medicare recipient, go out and I pick the doctor and the plan that I want. And the government does not control that. And all of the services I receive are run by individual plans, clinics, doctors. It's not owned by the government. So understand, we talk about single payer. It's only the financing part. It's got nothing to do with the benefits that you receive as a consumer, if anything, it will help regulate them so that you get better services 
and you know what you're entitled to rather than having to play this game. I mean, you probably know that you can go to eight different hospitals in the same area, if there were eight hospitals, everyone would have a different price. And there's no way of knowing what you're getting, what the value is. And the prices are extreme. It could be, you know, 300% more in one place than the other with absolutely no difference in service, right? So you've got the support of nurses. And do doctors generally support this too? I would think they would. I would say there are a number of doctors who do. And then there are many who don't because they fear that since the government will regulate pricing, that they may not be as profitable as they were. I would say it kind of breaks down to the primary care physicians, for the most part, are in favor. Think of it this way. In some sense, and I don't want to take this comparison too far, Kaiser's like a single payer. Kaiser has hospitals. Kaiser has medical staff. So they're providing a one-stop service. You pay Kaiser, and then you have all your medical care taken care of. Unfortunately, Kaiser's also an insurance plan. So Kaiser is against this because... And they have high deductibles depending on what you choose. Yeah, I mean, they're an insurance company. And unfortunately, the insurance company um, kind of dominates, I think, when it comes to the issue of single payer. But no, I think in the cases you're describing, there would be huge benefits. We allow doctors, and you, you talk to Canadian doctors, for example, who've been here and been there. It says, you know, single payer gives them a chance to really be doctors. Yeah. Instead of, you know, administrators and paper pushers. And I saw something like this. I watched a wonderful documentary that I got through you. It's called Fix It, mm-hmm. Healthcare at the Tipping Point. And in these next few minutes, you'll see the history of healthcare it hasn't always been like this. In 1969, Blue Cross Blue Shield had community rating. Everybody paid the same rates. It was a truly nonprofit and in every state, they were Blue Cross Blue Shields were regulated to serve the public interest. That's what we gave up on. Some executives at life insurance companies saw an opportunity to come into this area, come into this space, and make some money. Uh, so they came in and started offering cut-rate policies, uh, but only to those who were younger and healthier. The group of people subscribing to Blue Cross Blue Shield became less and less healthy, more and more expensive forcing the blues to raise their rates more and more. And by the late 70s, early 80s, in every state in the union, the old Blue Cross Blue Shield model was dying. These companies were going bankrupt. Nonprofit companies couldn't make it. For-profit insurance companies over the years became so dominant that they actually controlled, came to control the healthcare system. Uh, they bought a lot of the Blue Cross plans. A lot of the Blue Cross plans now are for-profit companies. The U.S. has one of the shortest lengths of stays in hospitals of any country, and we're told we have to shorten it. We go to the doctor about 4.2 times a year. The Japanese go 13 times. So we're told that we use too much health care and we have to restrict access to save money, when in fact we're below average when it comes to comparable countries. The whole system is set up to discourage people from using health care. The insurance companies are specialists at figuring out ways of covering less or paying less, the sicker you are. So not only are people having to pay more money out of their own pockets for care in these plans, they're finding that the choice of providers has been narrowed. As a primary care physician, I have selected the specialists that I'm most comfortable working with. As it stands right now, I've got to say to my staff, check if Dr. Brown is a member of this patient's insurance. And so, Referrals are so much more limited in the current system.
They interviewed doctors, they interviewed business people, and that was the fascinating part, and I wanted to talk to you about that, is how healthcare today affects small and medium-sized businesses. What have you seen as the challenges it presents? It's good that you've differentiated small, medium-sized from really big businesses because they're two different animals entirely. Um, In the case of small businesses, single-payer would be a huge boon to um, small business. And why is that? Because under the Affordable Care Act, they're they're not required to have insurance unless they have, I forget the exact numbers, either 25 or 50 employees. So you have a lot of small businesses, let's say 20 employees, that basically uh, are on their own, have to deal with the private health insurance market and simply can't afford to have insurance. So right now, as I recall, of small business, only about 20% provide any health insurance for their employees. And it's not because they don't want to. It's they, they really don't think they can afford it. So a single-payer plan would really be beneficial to small business. Their employees would therefore have health insurance. So what that means in the case of small business is, first of all, it gives them a boost in competition. Because right now, what happens? You're a small business, and you can barely pay a wage, but you can't provide benefits. Well, guess what? If you get a good employee, if you're able to get a good employee, qualified employee, as soon as they get an offer at a bigger company that's providing even a comparable wage but providing benefits, they're they gone. They take it because people need benefits. People need benefits because you can't exist they in society. They may have children. And- right. So basically, it would sort of level the playing field for them in, in a way that doesn't exist today. It would also be a real boon for entrepreneurs. Because a lot of people that would like to start their own businesses don't do it because they're afraid of leaving where they are because they have health benefits and they can't go out on their own. And, you know, they're taking a risk already by opening a business. You're doubling that by, you know, the question of providing for health care. Now, I should mention this. I mean, the Affordable Care Act, it was Obamacare, has helped the situation. I mean, a lot of people are able to get health insurance now that are entrepreneurs that weren't able to previously. But that's all up in, in question now. This would be tremendously beneficial for, for small business. Large business is a different story. The, it's a different story because, again, they have the resources to function within the system. Warren Buffett, the famous investor, has called healthcare the tapeworm of the U.S. economy. You can't have a globally competitive economy that has 20% cost of healthcare. I mean, right now, the U.S. businesses that go to Canada and have the the single-payer system there, you know, are thrilled because it reduces their costs. um, And they can put that money toward capital investments and... Employment, the whole whole business. But you've got a situation in which, and in fact, there are a lot of initiatives now starting up of private companies that are beginning to do their own health insurance. I don't know. There was a very, there's a very famous new grouping formed by Warren Buffett. I'm going to get this wrong. I guess Microsoft and um, Citibank, I guess, that is looking into how they can provide health insurance for their combined million employees because they can't fathom the present system as being so expensive that it's just not workable for them. So what you, backing up to what you said about large, so you're saying it doesn't affect large businesses so much because they have so much more money. Well, it does. I mean, it's gotten to the point where it is affecting large business so much that they're looking for alternative solutions. 
But at the same time, they're not really interested in doing a generalized single payer type route for the whole society. They believe, first of all, for the businesses that don't want to do single payer, they believe they can handle it regardless because of their incomes. And the other thing that's important is a lot of the larger businesses, especially in like a Silicon Valley situation, they use health benefits as a perk to get employed, to attract employees. So there are a lot of large companies that don't want to give up the control of healthcare because they see that as a way they provide value for right. their employees in a competitive mode. The other aspect is, you know, ideologically, there's generally a distrust of government. And even though you can show the numbers to your blue in the face, they're going to raise this as well. You know, we prefer a private enterprise solution. We don't trust government. The quality is going to be bad. Who's going to really be responsible? So those are the issues. But at the same time, as I started to say, it's gotten so out of control. The costs have gotten so out of control that businesses now are beginning to set up their own alternative systems, which they will negotiate the prices of services. So, for example, now you have companies that are contracting with specialized hospitals around the country, whereby if one of their employees needs a specialized operation, they send them to that hospital rather than a local hospital. To most people here, it's a no-brainer. Is there anything that could go awry with a single-payer system here? What could go wrong? What could go wrong? Yeah. The people putting it together could be incompetent and really not make it as efficient or as beneficial for the general population. I mean, it's got to be done carefully. It's complex. You run into a situation where you're now giving all these wonderful benefits to citizens. What happens in the case of an economic downturn? The government's on the hook. Yes. And now. in this case, it would be the state of California. Well, if there were single payer in California. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And Jerry Brown had said that he... In 10 years, he predicted a serious downturn. Right. I don't know what he was basing right. that on specifically, but... Right. But then, you know, I, I think it's important to look at values. I mean, you look at what a government is for, what our society should stand for. Well, it seems that, to me that health care is a right, that everyone should have access to good health care. And if you have to pay for it, well, guess what? You have to pay for it. Mm -hmm. And you figure out how society should do that. Maybe, you know, there are other parts of the budget that are not so important as healthcare might be, especially for people that don't have any or are really underserved. Well, what is it people should be looking at? We have the elections coming up now in November. Um, I, I would really encourage people to look at the candidates and what their stands are on this issue of single payer. Um, and again, unfortunately, you have to go below the surface because rhetorically, all the Democrats are going to be for it. But within the Democrats, you have people that really want to push it now and others who are gradualists that say, look, we can't do anything for the foreseeable future. It's not worth the time. Well, that, I think that's a defeatist attitude that mm -hmm. we have to you know, look out against. I mean, I know here in this assembly race, we have a situation like that, where there's one candidate who probably is mouthing the words because they sound good and one who's really serious about it. Then I would say once the elections happen, to really hold people's feet to the fire. If they're elected based on the fact that they're going to do something, really don't let them get away without doing anything. Just sort of, you know, work. There'll be groups organized to put pressure on, on, on legislators to continue to fight for it. I mean, again, it's going to be a process. There's so many stakeholders involved in this issue. There needs to be a coming together 
of the various groupings. And one thing that has happened, you're probably not aware of, is that in the last budget, there was a $5 million allocated to set up a commission to study how to implement what they call unified healthcare financing. Now, they specifically didn't say single payer, but we believe the intention is to certainly consider single payer within that. Because it'd be very interesting to see you're not How involved that in that. Are you on that committee? Oh, no, no, no. This is going to be, this is a five-person committee that uh, three people are selected by the governor, one by the assembly, and one by the Senate. And we're hoping to get at least one strong single-payer representative on that grouping. We're going to have to see. Because, again, it could be, we've seen it before, this could be a bluff where they put together a commission to study something which means, okay, we don't have to deal with it for two or three years We're still because studying it. we've got a commission going yeah. on it, right? Well, Eric, if people have questions for you or do you have a website you would direct them to? Sure. They can go to the Business Alliance for Healthy California. And I have to say it's a good website. That's where I found the link to the documentary, Fix It, which I really highly recommend it to anyone. You can watch it on Vimeo, online, and everything. And we're sort of in the in the process of um, repositioning because, as I say, things are going to change dramatically once we see who become the new elected officials, particularly on the governor's side. And the possi- it's going to open up a whole, especially if Gavin Newsom wins the election, a whole new set of possibilities to be explored about really trying to do something positive. Well, thank you for being on the program. Sure, thank you. You've been listening to Method to the Madness, a bi-weekly public affairs show on KALX Berkeley, celebrating Bay Area innovators. You can find all of our podcasts on iTunes University. We'll be back again in two weeks.